Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Well, the last time we saw the value that God places on individuals through the lives of two men, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Today we're going to see not only one of the most amazing conversions of all time from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul, but we're going to see God's continual theme of the importance he places on individuals. And that's why we talk so much about relationship with our Creator. Verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In context, you see the increasing persecution of the church really spanning the last two chapters that we covered in the book of Acts. And it wasn't enough to persecute the believers in Jerusalem. Saul is so spiritually blinded and enraged that he follows the believers all the way to Damascus, Syria, which is more than 130 miles from Jerusalem. He wants to make sure he roots out this new sect of Judaism anywhere he finds it. And that's awful. As a matter of fact, you know, we look at the Apostle Paul, the, the beloved Apostle, writer of half the New Testament, went through so much for the Lord. And we fall in love with the man through his writings. But you've got to hear some of the things he says about himself and the awful deeds that he did to believers prior to his conversion. And that's something we have to keep in, in perspective. But it's no different. What he did was awful, but it was no different than the natural man who's at, at odds with God every day, whether he realizes it or not. In Psalm 711, it says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. It's pretty heavy. And in Hebrews 12:29, it says, For our God is a consuming fire. Well, I'll tell you what, I certainly wouldn't want to stand before God on my own merits. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And I, I uh, pray for anyone who thinks they're going to stand before the all-powerful God of the universe on their own merits. I, you see a lot in the news about these, uh, you know, the big battles that are happening in our court systems. And a few Sundays back, I covered some of the case law in these. But one of the gentlemen's name is uh, Michael Newdow. I'm sure many of you might have seen him on the news. He's the champion for the atheist cause. He's the one who actually did it um, through a lie, tried to get the Pledge of Allegiance removed. Uh, also, he said his new mission is to get In God We Trust off of our coins, right? If you ever watch this man, he's, he comes off as angry. I've never seen him smile. And you just see there's like a, a, a glaze or a film over his eyes. And he's just, he's just on this mission. It's like his whole life is devoted to this mission to get every semblance of God off of public life. And I find that interesting because if I'm an atheist, I'm look, I look at Christians as foolish, right? God, there's no God, it doesn't exist, he's not real. Why waste my time? They're worshiping a figment of their imagination. But it's a spiritual battle, and that's the thing that we have to see. I want you to turn to Romans 3, starting with verse 10. Romans 3. Paul says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. 
With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, this really is a compilation, if you look at the Old Testament. What Paul is saying here, it's a compilation of several of the Psalms, all lumped together. And this is a picture of the natural man. This is a picture of a man or a woman prior to their conversion of being born again. I also want to turn to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. <clears throat> just three verses Paul says and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Again, prior to conversion, prior to be being born again of the Spirit and the Word of God, we are children of wrath. We're under judgment. We're under condemnation. But Romans 8 says, now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You see the difference. Starting to paint a picture here. And one more. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, starting with verse 13. <clears throat> Paul says, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were hardened. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. So you see this, again, this picture of a veil or a film, or it's almost like somebody is walking through life their whole lives with muddy glasses. They're glasses so they can see, but they're muddy. And they walk and they walk and they stumble and they bump into things, and this is the way they expect their life is normally going to be. And then one day somebody takes the glasses off for them and cleans them and they put them back on and now they can walk differently. Okay, it's a picture of the old nature versus the new nature. The first point I want to make through all this is prior to being born again, we're all in the same boat. We're in the company of Saul prior to his conversion. We're in the company of Michael Newdow. We're in the company of many, many people and some unsavory characters such as Adolf Hitler. And that may be very offensive to people. But again, God shows us there's only two camps. There's two types of people in the world. Election season is coming up. It's not Republican and Democrat. It's not black and white. It's not rich and poor. It's those who are repentant, okay, 
and they turn towards God and those who are rebellion towards God. Those are the only two types of people in the world. Unfortunately, the media and all the talking heads in the world try to obfuscate, try to confuse that issue. I, I could think of myself. I mean, I grew up in one of the, I guess, major religions, and I even defended my religion at times if people would talk about you know, my religion. Knew nothing about it, didn't read the Bible, but I defended my religion because it was my religion. And I just know that if I was to die before being born again, I know myself. I wouldn't have stood, I wouldn't have stood before the Lord, and it wouldn't have taken long. And there would have been no hope for me. I would have been going to hell. I thank God that he kept trying to get my attention and that he you know, wooed me towards him and that I became born again. But Saul was also religious. The inquisitors of the Middle Ages were religious. Suicide bombers of today are also religious, but they're all lost. Many are religious today and they get mad at you when you tell them of the Bible. When you get, they get mad at you when you tell them of their need to be born again of the Spirit. And they get mad at you when you tell them of their need for a relationship with their Creator. And that's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness hates that. It's offensive. It's almost as if people want God to be at a distance. They want Him somewhat close, but not too close. It's that arm's length distance. Don't get too close, Lord. You know, I, I can do the religion thing and the routines and the rituals, but you know, I, that closeness kind of, you know, I, I just don't want that, right? And my second point is that if you look at Saul, again, uh, you look at some of his writings when he looks back and he talks about how, what an insolent man he was and all the things he did and persecuted the, the believers, right? He sees what type of person he was before being born again. And today I can only liken that to contemporary religious fanatics. Look at the Islamic jihadists. And we find that offensive, right? We find that what they do, killing innocent people, blowing up bombs on buses, women and children, we find that offensive. Notwithstanding, they're precious to God. Osama bin Laden, God loves him. Of course, he hasn't repented, but God desires him to repent, as well as uh, some of the awful dictators of the past and even of today. I don't particularly care for Osama bin Laden, but God loves him. That shows you what a loving God he is that all would come to repentance. There's a gentleman that I um, started checking out recently. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's been on CNN and some of the news channels. His name is Walid Shubat. You could actually Google his name, Walid Shubat. This man was an admitted PLO terrorist, and he became a Christian. And many others like him have had these... Again, um, who wrote the book? I believe it was... Um, Pastor Wombrand wrote, wrote, wrote the book, Jesus, Friend to Terrorists. And he has this book documenting all these awful people who killed so many people and then uh, came to Christ and became born again and have, you know, obviously renounced their former lifestyles. And that might not sit well with some people because we like to judge ourselves by other people. As long as there's terrorists out there, we could say, hey, we're pretty good. But remember, we're missing the point. The standard is Jesus Christ. He's our ultimate standard, not the people who are sitting next to you, not the people who are blowing up buses, but Jesus is the standard, and none of us uh, can, can attain that standard. Well, this was a man, again, he, uh, uh, he became a Christian. He was, uh, before that, he was jailed in an Israeli prison. Uh, he went from hating Jews his whole life, and when he became born again, the veil was lifted, and he loves the Jewish people. He speaks out, and now he gets death threats from the people that he left. Very interesting story. And as we covered last Sunday, every soul is redeemable by the blood of Jesus. 
Every person is important to God. And that should, that should kind of put us in perspective because as human beings, again, we compare ourselves with other people and we have a tendency maybe to look down on other people. Um, what Dan and Jen spoke about going to Trenton. Unfortunately, I'm sure there's many Christians that would see people like that and look down on them. Why don't they get a job? Why don't they fix their lives up? Why don't they get off of drugs? And it, it, it's that, that self-righteous attitude that can creep into our hearts. So I would just encourage us all not to look down on anyone and not to give up on anyone. If Walid Shubat could be saved, then anybody could be saved. Verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, Acts 22 and Acts 26, which we won't turn to, gives us a little bit more detail where Paul is recounting this event later on, gives us some ancillary information, and he adds this, that the Lord spoke to him in Hebrew, that the event happened at noon, that the light of the Lord was brighter than the sun, and the Lord's glory is what blinded Saul. Also, God sent Saul to be a minister to the Gentiles. Now, let's look at the effects of Paul's or Saul's conversion in six basic events. The first event, uh, verse 4, Saul falls to the ground. And I guess my question to you would be, who could be in the presence of God's glory and not be unmoved? In Saul's instance, he was knocked to the ground. And what often happens when we have a confrontation with the Lord is uh, he takes us off of our feet, right? And I know that if I talk to some of you individually and you talk about how the Lord got your attention, it's almost as like he, he turned your life around. He somehow took you off of your feet. The Lord must reteach us how to stand, but not as a natural man or a natural woman anymore, but a spiritual man and a spiritual woman. We start all over again, right? Everything we've learned up to the point of our conversion must come into question. What we thought about love. I love my wife because she... She keeps a nice house. She cooks a good meal. Is that really love or is that a bargain? You know what I'm saying? We have to think about what comes into question is what we think of eternity. How, you know, how, how many ways are there to heaven? All these things now have to come into question when we're knocked off of our feet. Sometimes political issues, poverty, abortion, racism, stem cell research. We, we may look at these in a different light now because of the light of Christ, right? He kind of, we're reading a dark book and we can't really understand what we're reading, but the light of the Lord opens it up and makes everything clear now. It's a moment of crisis. What we have to do is we have to take what we've learned in the last 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 years and conform it now to God's word. The second event, Saul's conversing with the Lord. And we see this in verse 4 and verse 5. Jesus announces himself and Jesus also equates the persecution of the church with his own personal offensiveness. Jesus is offended. 
Paul wasn't, or Saul wasn't attacking Jesus personal. He was ascended and, and it was at the right hand of the Father, but he was going after the church. Jesus equates that with his own personal offensiveness. Uh, he often makes that equivalent between himself and the church. After all, we are the body of Christ, and he is the head, and hopefully we have the mind of Christ as believers. Kicking against the goads. What was a goad? A goad was used to poke an animal to get it to move. And often they would put goads in the front of the plowman's assembly to stop the animal from kicking him or from stopping his work. In a spiritual sense, God uses Stephen. Remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr after Jesus, right? He died giving his testimony. An incredible testimony it was. It says when they looked at his face, he had the faces of an angel. But God used Stephen's testimony and his death and the way he died as a goad and probably many other things, but Saul kept resisting. Just to give you a, a visual illustration of, of a goad, and it's really cool because whether it was Jesus or Paul or Peter or any of the, you know, the Christian leaders, what they did was they gave simple illustrations so people could understand. So someone from the lowest education level to the highest education level could get the picture. And uh, the, the parable was, a, was a, again, a, a literal illustration that would convey a spiritual truth. Now, what you would have was, you'd have, starting from over here, you'd have your oxen. So you had two oxen, and they would be strapped together with these leather type of harnesses. And then between them, there would be a, a, a series of straps or a, a, a beam that would connect back here to the plowman's assembly, sort of like a sled type of assembly, depending on what time period and how much money you had. And what happened was the plowman would stand on this assembly and there would be a plow, okay? And what happens is as the oxen would go, you know, the, it would help to break up the ground. Now, as I'm saying this, think of the, the ox as people and think of it as the, the plowman as God and think of the broken up field and the, the harvest as something that God is trying to accomplish, right? To bring us all into everlasting life. And what would often happen was, as the ox would maybe not want to go or, uh, you know, they would kick, you know, they would go kicking. So the, the plowman assembly would have these goads on the front of them, sort of like sticks, to poke them, to either quit them from kicking or to continue them moving. So now you have the whole picture of the whole kicking against the goads routine. Now, you can make the application context aside for the saved and the unsaved. If you're not saved, you resist salvation, as in the case with Saul. And Jesus said to him specifically, why are you kicking against the goats? You know, you're not going to get anywhere. If you are saved, oftentimes, or if we are saved, we often resist change. Sometimes we're comfortable with the way we are. We don't want to change. And if we've been a Christian 10, 15, 20 years, sometimes we get to the point where we think we've hit the apex of our Christian walk and we're plateaued and we're really good right here and we don't want to change. And God says, no way, no way. I'm not, I don't want you to stay that way. We always need to be being conformed into the image of Christ. As Christians, we always need to be moving in one direction, you know, towards Christ. Otherwise, we're going in, in reverse or we're stagnating, right? So you can see the application for both the saved and the unsaved. Kicking against the goads. You know God is working. God's trying to get the person's attention using events as an impetus to change. Whether it be a near-death experience, somebody's arrested for a crime, a financial crisis, 
just nothing seems to be going right, or some type of frustration or crisis situation. Some of you this very, <laughs> this very week may be kicking against the goads. Are you fighting against something that the Lord is trying to show you? Is he calling you to salvation for some of you and you're resisting it? Is he calling you to rededicate your life to him? Christian, are you having a recurring problem and you just can't seem to get past it? You're trying and trying and it's just not working out. Maybe it's time to just stop, put up your hands and say, Uncle, I give, Lord. I know often in my life when things happen and, and I, just, I, I just sense that it's a spiritual thing. I'll just stop, I'll be by myself and I'll, I'll say, you know what, Lord? Okay, <laughs> you got my attention. What is it you want me to do from here, right? And I think we need to come to that place more often. Lord, you've got my attention. What is it that you're trying to show me? We need to stop fighting, kicking, and resisting. It's not going to go our way until we submit to the good plan that God has for us, right? The Bible says that his thoughts are continually for good towards us and not of evil. The third event, the point of brokenness, verse 6. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the point where God can use us. He goes, that's what I'm looking for. What do you want me to do, Lord? Okay, now I can use you, Christian. Or to the unbeliever, I want, I'm drawing you towards me. I'm drawing you towards my love. I'm a willing vessel. My spiritual ears are now open. Now, that's funny because Jesus often said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. For somebody who's a novice or somebody who's reading the Bible for the first time, and Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, some people would say, well, that's ridiculous. What else are ears for than for hearing? Okay. The question is, how many times have we had a conversation with people and we haven't heard what we said? Unfortunately, for those of you who've been married for a while, it's usually, I see some smiles, it usually has to do with your spouse. I can say that I remember my wife saying, or maybe a few times my wife saying, I ask her a question. She says, I told you. You told me. And not only did I told you, I tell you, but I told you three times, and I can tell you the, t the times and the dates that I told you. And I'm thinking, were my ears open the whole time? What was I doing? So, you, you know, we can tune people out at times. Or how many times do we listen to a message for someone else than ourselves? As a, a new believer and in a new marriage, uh, when I would hear Pastor Lloyd preaching from the pulpit, I would maybe go, <clears throat> if my wife was sitting next to me, like, you need to hear that. Or put my hand on her leg, like, this message is for you. <laughs> what about me? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, sometimes we can listen to God's word. We can listen to a message, and it goes right past us, right through our ears in one end and out the other, and we're hoping that our spouse listens to it. Or how many times have we read the Bible and not directly applied it to our own lives? There's people who know the Bible inside and out, can quote scriptures, theology, read the Greek and Hebrew, and they're just not allowing the word of God to sink into their hearts. Sadly, just as we tune people out, we can also tune out God. And sadly, at the point of brokenness, many people still don't go give in to the Lord. It's hard, it's hard to resist temptation to try to get out of our circumstances and not see what God is trying to show us. For those of you that have been here from the beginning, you remember one of our elders, Gary, uh, those of you maybe remember he would have a cane, and he had just, just intense pain all the time in his back, and he was always moving, and you could see it just evoked a feeling of compassion and prayer for the man. And one time he took me aside and said, you know, Joe, so many people come up to me and want me to pray and just want this thing to go get, get done with right away. He goes, very few, if any, have asked me, Gary, what do you think the Lord's trying to show you through this? 
So it just goes to show you that maybe it's our drive-through mentality. You know, beep, beep, Lord, can you fix Gary? Great, two seconds, boom, I'm out of here. I have a happy meal to go. But it's true. You know, we don't want to sit and think, what is the Lord trying to show us through the situation? Another illustration that I want to talk about on brokenness. If you remember the scripture, Matthew 21, 44, Jesus says this. He who falls on the cornerstone, of course, a picture of Jesus will be broken. But on whom the cornerstone falls, that man will be ground to powder. Now, there's a big difference. I don't get it. I fall on Jesus and I get broken. But if, if he falls on me, I get ground to powder. What gives here? Well, follow the illustration. In the first instance, if you fall on the cornerstone, you, you get broken. Physiologically, let's go with the physical and then go with the spiritual. Physiologically, your bones, are, your bones are porous, right? People think bones are just solid material. They're not. If you actually took a cross-section of your bones, you would see that there, there's a lot of spaces in there, right? When a bone breaks, it heals stronger because of a biochemical process of remineralization. As a matter of fact, a lot of martial artists, if you know any, will purposely break their bones, especially in their hands, because when the bone heals, it's amazing. The minerals get back into it, and it heals stronger than it was. And actually, their hands become, their bones become more dense, and they really become deadly weapons. So that's the whole bone-breaking process. Spiritually, if you are broken, if you fall on the Lord and you are broken, and you just come to the end of yourself and you break, you can be healed. You can get up, you can walk again, and the Lord will, will change you if you allow him to. Okay, You can grow and be better than you were spiritually. What about the second instance where if the cornerstone falls on you, you'll be ground to powder? Well, physically, if you're ground to powder, uh, I remember one, I used to love the old Star Trek. Remember when they, they would zap him with that machine and it all turned to powder, and then they would hit him with another machine and they, they would come back with the water? Okay, maybe many of you didn't see it, but... In real life, if you're ground to powder, I always got to go back to the 70s, or right, Josh, the 80s. I don't know why I do that. But if you're ground to powder, it's it for you. I mean, physically, like Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put you back together again, right? But spiritually, that's a picture of if you're ground to powder, there's no hope for you. You're done. It's a picture of, you know, eternal lostness, and, and you know, it's just over for you. So you see those two examples. To the unbeliever, there's still time for you to be saved. But don't wait too long. And don't continue to rebuff the Lord's advances. If your friend is talking to you about the Lord, or you run into a, a Christian on the street and they just start talking to you, or you end up coming to the church because somebody made you and you're hearing the Word of God and it's doing something, these are all going to be examples of things that happen in your life. If you're not a believer, don't continue to rebuff God's advances and don't harden your heart. If you're a believer... Stop resisting his pushes for growth and change. Otherwise, he may put you on the shelf. There comes a point in time where we, as believers, we also can resist God. And again, context, the context is Paul or Saul and his conversion experience. But remember, this can also happen with Christians, and let's not lose sight of that. There's many people who resist the Lord and resist the Lord, and just are fine to, with going to heaven, the whole thing, but they don't want to move forward in their walk. And God can take you very nicely with your little Christian tag, like a little stuffed animal, and he could put you on the shelf and say, okay, fine, stay there, right? Because you don't want to change. As a matter of fact, many pastors have been shelved. Many pastors have done things they shouldn't have done, and now they're on the shelf. 
they're not being used for God and may never be again. So that's something sobering that we should think about as Christians. The fourth event in verse 8, Saul was blinded like the light. I'm sorry, Saul was blinded by the light, excuse me. And unlike that goofy 70s song, popular song, Saul was blinded by the light of God's glory. I want to read Revelation 21:23, And I want to make some comparisons to the light that we know of, that we see here, uh, or even the sunlight and the light of God's glory. Revelation 21, 23. It talks about the, uh, the new city. And we, we're talking about the end of the age and, and the, the evil are judged and the new heavens and the new earth are created and the new Jerusalem. Okay, And he says in this one verse, he says, And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. Right? We know God is truth, God is love, and God is light. In the end, there's no reason for, for luminaries. There's no reason for stars and for, uh, for artificial light. God will give the light. Right? So we'll always be in light, we'll never be in darkness, but it's his light that shines. What is light? Okay, the light that we see, it's electromagnetic radiation that's necessary for life via photosynthesis. Light also has antimicrobial pro properties, and it travels at 186,000 miles per second. It goes pretty quickly, one of the fastest things in the universe, or the fastest thing. But light can also be powerful and devastating. Too much exposure to the sun can cause retinal and skin damage and skin cancer. Uh, and even the military and the police are experimenting with weapons that use certain wavelengths of light to incapacitate their aggressors. One blast of these, these special lights, and all it is is light, and they get disoriented and they, they actually vomit. And these things are actually in existence. So light is a very interesting, um, uh, you know, interesting thing that God has created. Now imagine the power of the light of God. So think of all the light that we talked about and the power of the sun and different light. And now think of the, the light, the power of God through his light. It's one more reason why can't, we can't experience God's full glory and live. We need to understand in this picture of scripture is the full glory of God. It wasn't like um, there was a cloud and you know, Saul was riding on his horse and the cloud passed. Oh, and the sun got his, in his eyes and he fell off the horse. He was blinding, blinded by the light of God's glory. That's something we need to understand. The fifth event, he's receiving instruction. God says, arise and go into the city. These are the instructions he has for Saul. Okay, I got your attention. Now arise and go into the city. In other words, God is saying, uh, Saul, don't call me. I'll call you. I'll let you know what your next instructions are. He didn't say, God didn't say to Saul, this is your 10 and 20 year plan laid out in front of you. Okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be converted. I'm going to show you the third heaven. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be stoned. You're going to be left for dead. Come back to life. Uh, they think you're dead, but you're, you're actually not. You're going to be bitten by a snake. You're going to be healed, shipwrecked, uh, right half the New Testament. And in the end, you're going to lose your head. You know, God didn't say that to Saul. There's a reason God doesn't do that. It would kind of be a little overwhelming, don't you think? <laughs> Sometimes I would like to know what my future holds. And in some ways, I'd rather not know. You know what, Lord? You can keep that one a secret. I prefer not to know, right? I remember about the time that I got saved. Um, and if the Lord would have shown me the 10-year plan, I would have ran as far as I could in the other direction, right? You want me to do what? Pastor? No way. 
But the Lord is gentle with us. And we don't have the foresight to see the amazing changes God can make in our character over time. It's better to walk with him every day, though, and that's what he desires. And it always comes back to that relationship issue. Relationship also helps us to digest the dreaded C word, change. Nobody likes change. I don't like change. Especially when we get set in to our ways and we get comfortable. And the older we get and the more set in our ways we get, the less we like change. Isn't that true? Resistant to change, actually, is one of the biggest hindrances to improving marital problems. I know when, when my wife and I, have, and we've talked to other people who have done marital counseling, uh, there, people just don't want to change. Marriage, five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever, uh, there's some problems that's falling apart, and people don't want to change. Even if one party is willing to change, and the other party adamantly is not, that still poses a problem. So change, the resistance to change, is one of the biggest, biggest barriers to marital counseling. But when you're dealing with God every day, he makes those subtle changes that don't hurt too much. And by the end of the 10 years, you should be a different person, a better person. You can look back on your life and say 10 years ago, wow, amazing differences God has done in my life. But they've been so subtle and they've been so gentle and he's such a gentleman about it that it's a good thing, right? The sixth event, Saul was blinded and had to be led around by the hand, verse 8. How fragile we are, but we often think we're so mighty. Saul was kicking in doors, arresting people, binding men and women, and taking them all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, this must have been interesting because he must have been an unassuming little dynamo. Because as we see in 2 Corinthians 10.10, that the Corinthians say his, his letters are so weighty, but his appearance is nothing to behold, and his speech is contemptible. So Paul, I mean, we're looking at these letters and like, whoa, Paul, Paul, I can't wait to meet Paul. And probably if we saw him, what he looked at on the earth, we'd go, will you move out of the way? I'm looking for Paul. <laughs> Where's the apostle Paul? I mean, according to their own description of him, he had powerful letters, which we, we agree with, but his speech was contemptible. Maybe he had a speech impediment. And uh, his, his appearance, get, who is this guy? Hey, that Apollos guy looks pretty good. I wonder what he's got to say. It's amazing how we judge people on appearance, but God judges the heart. So you got this pit bull, Paul, Saul, who's running around, who thinks he's going to single-handedly snuff out the Christian existence and be the champion of orthodoxy. And from that, he goes to being blind and helpless. Saul was humbled, which is a good thing. Are you mighty physically? Are you mighty physically? Think about that. Some of us are. Some of us are young. You know, we can run. We can lift weights. We can do acrobatics and pretty amazing stuff. Are you an intellectual giant? I know some of you, and some of you are intellectual giants. Are you highly esteemed in your field? Well, we need to be careful with pride because God can bring any of us down a few pegs. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I know that there's plenty of times in my life where God has had to take me down a few pegs. And then I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm humble, I'm humble, I'm humble. <laughs> if you say that, you're probably not humble. And then it happens again. And that's a good thing when God allows us to go through these periods of, of, of humbling us. But in addition to Saul being humbled, Peter was humbled, Herod was humbled, and many others. They were also all humbled throughout church history. Saul was so humbled that he had to be led around by the hand. And like that, he can humble any of us to where we need to be led around by the hand. Hopefully, we will 
listen to the still small voice of God first before we have to get to that point. There's one word that sums up um, this moment in Saul's life, and that word is change. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you're confronted with him directly or through another person or by reading the word of God, I actually read Walid Shubat's testimony, and he was trying to get his wife to convert to Islam. And he said, I will show you that you know, your Bible is wrong. This is amazing. He actually started reading the Bible without any help, and he was totally convicted by God's word. Romans 10:17. The Bible has regenerative powers. There's many people out there who have come to Christ just by reading the scripture. He left his faith. He left his fanaticism. He became a Christian, and his whole life changed just by reading the Holy Scriptures. Another story of, uh, and again, the overseas missions news. I don't remember, uh, Indonesia, one of these countries, uh, the man's wife became a Christian, and he, he beat her, and he took her Bible, and he threw it in the fireplace, and most of it burned. And there was one page that was left that didn't burn, and that page, I don't remember what scripture it was, but he, he looked at it, and he picked it up, and he started reading it, same thing. He started reading the scripture, and the guy was, he became a Christian. So pretty amazing stuff. So whether you're confronted, unbeliever, through, another, through a believer, through the word of God, through God's advances and, and wooing you towards him, you must change to have everlasting life. And one of those ways of changing is repentance. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, bef- no one comes to the Father except through me. If you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you must be in a state of constant change towards being conformed to the image of Christ. And it doesn't mean we're not going to take steps back. You know, we do backslide. Israel backslid. And then they they would move forward again, and then they backslid. Uh, Unfortunately, they got to the point where God really had to take them down. So I don't know if that's a great example. But even as believers, we, we take some steps back. We backslide. We go through dry spells. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect or that we always have to, you know, put on this super... Christian face and pretend that everything's great, we are going to have our moments. But in the end, as time goes on, we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 is clear. It tells us that. So my desire is that we would all look within our hearts and see where the Lord wants us to change. Because when confronted with Jesus, we have no choice but to change. Let's pray. Things great.